All right, I'm excited about, I'm always excited about the word. I just feel like you get more and more and more revelation. You could read the same thing. We could preach the same section of scripture, passage of scripture every week and get new and fresh revelation from it. And this particular message has kind of been stirring in me for a little bit over a month now. And I just keep studying it and going back to it and keep studying it and going back to it. So when they, I was asked to uh, speak tonight, it was immediately, that's what popped in my head. Because I just believe that there is so much in this story. I shared it in um, Huddle a few weeks ago as well. And it just keeps growing and keeps growing. So we're going to dive into that today. But I want to jump right into, we're going to go through a story. We're going to walk through beginning to end of a story. We're going to break it down as we go. So it's going to be kind of points from the story instead of topical points, if that makes sense. That's how we're going to walk through this tonight. Um, So let's flip over to Numbers 13. We weren't quite awake yet. We're going to flip over to Numbers 13. There we go. That's better. The title tonight is It Matters. And the heart behind it is that sometimes it feels like we're in different seasons of life and maybe whatever that season is, it seems like, does it really matter? When I look at the world around me, I'm trying to live different. I'm trying to apply the word. I'm trying to pray. I know what the word says. I know what the promises of God are. But does it really matter? I'm not seeing it. I'm not seeing it come through. I'm not seeing it the the way that I thought I would see it. It's not working out the way that I thought it would go. Does it really matter? And so I want to encourage you tonight that it absolutely does matter. So we're going to look at the story. We're going to start where the spies were sent to spy out the land. So Moses had brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, and he brought them to the, the place of the promised land. They're right on the Jordan River. Promised land is on the other side. And God told Moses, I want you to send spies. I want them to go spy out the land. So the first point with this, we're going to read through it, but the first point is what do we need to spy out in our lives? Because the promised land represents a place of maybe it's vision, maybe it's purpose, maybe it's a particular answer that we are looking for, that God brought us out of a place of bondage and he's taken us to the place that he has for us to thrive. Well, that can look different in each of our lives and some of us will have many promised lands in our life. Maybe there's a promised land for our marriage, a promised land for our kids, a promised land for our finances, a promised land for our health, a promised land for friendships, a promised land you can fill in the blank. That there can be many, many, many different promised lands. What is that promised land? that God has. And sometimes we're in one season of life and the promised land that I'm pursuing is this, but then in another season of life, the promised land that I'm pursuing is this. So what promised land are we currently spying out? And why is it important to spy it out? Because where there is no vision, the people perish. And God wants us to see what he's made available to us, but we see it through, our, or through his word. In their sense, they're seeing a physical land. They're seeing the big grapes. They're seeing the land that's flowing with milk and honey. They're seeing a physical land. Where do we find our promised land? We find it in the word of God. What does God have to say about our marriages, our finances, our kids, our health, whatever your promised land is, what does God have to say about it? And so we find it in the word. What does his word say? That's my promised land. That's my vision. That's what I'm headed towards. So we are all, in a sense, Spies, go spy out the land that God said is yours. Because God, the, the word of God is filled with promises that can apply to any area in all areas of our life. We just have to grab hold of those. So any area of our life that we feel like we're a little bit dry, that we feel like, man, this is kind of some wilderness living going on. What's the promise attached to that? What promise does God have? It was that we're spying out the land. So does it really matter? Yes, it matters that we have a vision. Um, it, Paul says, I don't, just, I don't just beat the air. I don't just live random, but I live intentionally. I'm not just hitting things to hit things. There's a purpose for me fighting the fight of faith that I'm fighting. I'm going somewhere. I'm, I'm looking unto Jesus. I'm, I'm being intentional about where I'm headed. Are we intentional about where we're headed in every area of our life? Are those promised lands really significant but intentional for us? Do we know where we're headed in every area of our life? Do we know what God says about it? It's important. If not, we're going to go where the world is going to go. We're going to go where we were raised. We were going to go with what the majority says. We're going to go, and our life will just be random. And our marriage will look like this, and our finances will look like this, and our kids will look like this, and our health will look like this, because we're random. We're not living with intention with what God says. So do we have a vision? So in, in Numbers 13, I'm going to start in verse 2, and it says, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the children of Israel. From each tribe, their fathers, you shall send a man, every one, and a leader among them. Skip down to verse 17. 
Then Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, go up this way into the south and go into the mountains and see what the land is like, whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, few or many, whether the land they dwell in is good or bad, whether the cities they inhabit are like camps or strongholds, whether the land is rich or poor, whether there are forests or there are not, be of good courage and bring some fruit of the land. Now this was the season of the first ripe grapes. So they went up and spied out the land from the wilderness of Zin as far as Rehob, near the entrance of Hamath. And they went through the south and came to Hebron. Those three people, the descendants of Anak, lived there. Then they came to the valley of Eshkol, and there they cut down a branch with one cluster of grapes. They carried it between the two of them on a pole. They also brought some of the pomegranates and figs. The place was called the valley of Eshkol because of the cluster which the men of Israel cut down there, and they returned from spying out the land after only 40 days. Now they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of Israel. In the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh, they brought back word and all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. They told him and said, we went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey. And this is the fruit. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and are very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell the sea along the banks of the Jordan. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and take possession. We are well able to overcome it. But the men who had gone with him said, we are not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land, which they had spied out saying the land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. There we saw giants, the descendants of Anak came from the giants. We were like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. So that was a lot, but I want to lay the foundation of the story. We're going to read a little bit more here in just a second. But I want to point out how specific that they were looking. Is there a stronghold or are they just tents? How big are they? How many are they? Well, what does it look like? When we're spying out the promises of God, when we're spying out the promised land for the areas of our life, it's important for us to get a full picture. That we go, what does God say that my marriage is supposed to be like? But because God says that, this is what the enemy has to say. So this is what I don't want to have enter in. This is the kind of things that I don't want to allow in my life. These are the words that I won't allow myself to speak. These are the ways that I won't allow myself to think. These are the way, what does the enemy look like in the land as well? Because sometimes we can, we can tell, we can speak thoroughly what the promises of God are, but sometimes when we don't make ourselves aware of even what the enemy's coming to steal and kill and destroy, then we'll live declaring the promises of God while simultaneously being deceived by the enemy. So it's in a relationship with God that I'm gonna focus on my relationship, I'm gonna focus what God says, and I'm gonna stay in what God says regardless of what I see, but I'm also aware of where they are, and I'm aware of who they are, and I'm aware of what their plan of attack is. Does that make sense? And so they were spying out not just how good the land was, that's a promise of God. They, no one questioned how good the land was. It truly does flow in milk and honey. We truly did have to carry a cluster of grapes on a cluster of men because there was so big we couldn't carry it just by ourselves. It truly is great. We don't question the goodness of God. All of us in here could, could declare over and over promises of God. What does God say about it? But what's the enemy's attack against it? What things do we need to guard ourselves of? What things do we need to say that I'm declaring the presence of God, but I got a part to play in this as well? And so there's two sides to what they were truly spying out. And that's important as we spy out, that it's not just what does God say over my kids? How am I going to enforce that with obedience to what the word of God says? Because there is an enemy that's after them. There is an enemy that's after my health. There is an enemy that's after my marriage. There is an enemy that's after my finances. What are they? Who are they? Where do they reside? Is it a tent? Is it a stronghold? Because we know our God is greater, but we're not just going to send our families and our marriages into the den of wolves and hope they survive. We've got to be aware of how we're living. It says that we need to be watchful and be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, roams about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. 
what things are trying to be devoured in our lives. What's the promise of God? But then have we spied out the land to know how we are going to get a plan to be able to take what God says is ours? It says that he was given to them. They just had to go possess the land. So how are we going to go take what is ours? The second thing is to refuse to settle. So point number two is to refuse to settle. Kadesh, where they were currently camping, where the spies were sent from, where the spies returned to. It was the area that was just on this side of the promised land, outside of the promised land, on this side of the Jordan River. But it was the overflow of the promised land. So it wasn't the promised land, but it was almost the promised land. It had the lush green pastures. They had the water. There was even some some fruit and stuff that grew over. So it had the overflow of the promised land, but it wasn't the promised land. It was almost good enough, but it was definitely not what God had promised for them. And we see when these men, they went and spied out the land and they said, we can't overtake it. We just want to stay here. Whereas here, here is that place that's almost good enough. It's the place that because the giants are so big over there, because of the things that are against me over there, I'm just going to settle that this is the way it's going to be. And so now, and this is where I really want you guys to put yourselves in this story and go, what promised lands? Write them down. Which ones am I, am I currently, because we're not looking for the land with giant grapes, unless you're on a really big health kick and you're trying to figure that out, and that's fine. But what promised land are we pursuing? Is it friendships? Is it finances? Is it health? Is it marriage? Is it kids? What are the specific promised lands that you are personally looking for? I want this message to be personal. What are these personal things? What are these personal promised lands? Are you spying them out? But then number two, refuse to settle. Have we maybe settled short of the fullness of God in these areas? Does my relationship line up with what God's promise says about it? Does my friendship line up with what God's promises say about it? Does my health line up with what God's promises say about it? And I know a lot of this sounds repetitive, but I believe so many of us settle too quickly. It can't be. It's too big. I understand that this is God's promise for that area of my life, but it seems too hard to get there. This is God's promise, but everything's working against me, so I can't get there. This is God's promise, but it's definitely not my reality. It's not what I'm seeing right now. And so sometimes we can take a step back and we can just settle almost there. I can see the promised land over there, but I'm safe from the giants. I'm safe, I'm safe from the things that are, that are coming against me, and I'm just going to settle here. And we'll live that way. And so we're not walking in what God has given us, the fullness of what he's given us, but we live short of it. Why? Because the giants that we saw over there kept us in a place that we would rather be here. The things working against me, we feel like, are more than what's working for us. Because we have more faith in the giants working against us than the goodness of God working for us. God said it was their land. It was given to them. The promises that are in here, it says that in him are yes and they are amen. The promises that are in the word of God, they are already ours. They are already ours, but we have to go possess them. And sometimes we think the word possess them is just declare them. But we're not dedicated to walk out the process to be able to get them. And so we declare the promises, but we're not walking out. And we see that here with these guys. They're not walking. They don't want to fight the giants, but they want to declare that that's their promised land. But I don't want to fight. I don't want to have to do it. I don't want to have to dedicate myself to the process to be able to get to where God wants to take me. So refuse to settle. They allowed the size of the giants to outweigh the goodness of God. Let's read 1330 really quick. And this is Caleb. It says, Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. And then if we skip over, and let's go to 1424. And it says, But my servant Caleb... Because, and this is God talking, but my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit in him and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land where he has went and his descendants shall inherit it. Because my servant Caleb, two things, he said that he has a different spirit. The second thing that he said is that he has followed me fully. He has followed me fully, not mostly, not kind of when he felt like it, not when it was convenient, not when it was popular, because he had followed me fully. So the first part of that 
is that he has a different spirit. Well, how do we, how does God know? How does he know? Well, how does God know? Of course God knows. But how do we know that he has a different spirit? How do we have a different spirit when we're coming against this kind of situation? So we were walking into the promised land. We see the giants. We come back. The majority, 10 other spies are like, no dice. We can't do this. We are going to get taken out. One guy stands up, silences the people. And by silencing the people, do you guys remember how many people came out of Egypt? Like it wasn't just a few of us. It would take a lot if this room was having an argument as to whether or not we were going to go take somebody out over there for one person to stand up and silence all of us in this room if we were really heated and going at it, right? So there's this huge group of people and it says that Caleb stands up and he says, no, no, we are well able. Let's go do it. God said there's a different spirit about him. Why? Because Caleb came back and he said, oh no, we got this. Absolutely, there's giants, but God said it's ours, so I don't understand why we couldn't go after it. Everyone else said, the fruit's really cool, but the giants are too big. He has a different spirit because he sees differently and he responds differently. Across the board, they all were slaves in Egypt. They all have spent a lot of time in the wilderness at this point. And now they all saw the same land, the same giants, and the same fruit. So they are on a level playing field. What set Caleb and Joshua, but what set Caleb apart? See, God's initial intent when he told Moses to go deliver the people out of Egypt, he didn't say, and he says multiple times, I want you to go let my people go. I want you to tell Pharaoh to let them go. But he doesn't say, tell Pharaoh to let them go so that they can go to the promised land. And we think that. But what he actually says is, I need you to tell Pharaoh to let my people go so that they can come unto me. The initial desire of God in freeing his people was to have a relationship with them. It wasn't just to give them a promised land. It wasn't just to give them a place to reside. God doesn't want us to get saved just so that we can have the luxury of all these promises. That's a big deal. But more than anything, God wants relationship with us. And I believe that's what Caleb grabbed a hold of because when I have relationship with somebody, I can see things from their perspective. I can hear things from their perspective. I can respond differently in a way that they would have me respond. Why? Because I spend time with that person. I know how Oren, he's not back there. He was back there. He's back there. I know how Oren is going to respond in situations. If somebody asked me something, I'm like, oh, you should probably tread lightly because I know how he's going to respond. I know that when I see something, I do have my perspective, but I can see from Oren's perspective because we hang out. There's something I'm going to see different. Montana's probably not going to know how Oren responds to things, yeah? Probably not going to know what he's going to see, how he's going to see things. Why? She doesn't have a relationship with Oren. I have a relationship with Oren. Caleb and Joshua saw things different because they had a relationship with God because they didn't just see miracle after miracle after miracle in the wilderness. They saw no matter what we're facing, my God is there. No matter what we're facing, he's greater. No matter what he says, no matter what I come up against, God is gonna be there to get me to the other side. That's what they learned about God. Whereas the majority learned, well, God failed us again. Now we're out of water. God failed us again. We're out of food. God failed us again. We don't know where we're going. God failed us again. That's one perspective. When the opposite perspective is, we're out of water. What an opportunity for God to show up. We're out of food. What an opportunity for God to show up. Two perspectives, same circumstance. Which are we? Just voice record yourself for about three days. You'll know exactly which category you fall into. Is everything a problem? God just didn't show up again. Why God? Why am I in this? Why am I facing this? It's just too much. It's just too big. I'm just, this is just the way it is and it's the way it's gonna change or gonna stay because I've tried the God thing and it didn't work. What was trying the God thing? Like eating the manna and then whining the next day? That's not trying the God thing. Trying the God thing is going, he is my provider no matter what and my attitude is gonna change accordingly. That's having relationship with him. So our lives, what are they saying? What are we speaking? Are we settling? Or do we have a different spirit about us because of who we're in relationship with? When things get hard, when we face opposition, this is the best time to find out the depth. It will reveal the depth of our relationship with Christ. When we face hard things, we'll know real fast, is my depth to go, no, this is an opportunity for God. 
and we can go possess it. Or is my first response, I don't even know why I ever tried because I've been trying to do things right and live right and fast and tithe and go to church and do whatever else and it's not working. Same giant, two perspectives based on who we're in relationship with most. Are we in relationship with God and the word? Are we in relationship with the negativity of the world around us? Because it's going to dictate our response. And we see that only two had this response and 10 of them had another response. But then how important, this is just a a side note, a free for all, it's not a point, it's just an extra. But how important are our words? Because the words of 10 people made an entire generation die in the wilderness. Do we understand how powerful our words are about circumstances to our families and the people around us? The words of 10 people an entire generation died in the wilderness. Like, you're not even gonna see it because of what came out of their mouths. Our words hold so much power. And when we settle in just with what everyone else is saying around us, we do not know what we are compromising. We do not know where we are selling ourselves short. When we choose to settle and not walk into the fullness, when we choose to trust the giants more than we trust God, It's devastating, and it will affect families. It will affect communities. It will affect nations as we see, but it makes a difference, and it matters because then you're like, well, great. It didn't even matter. They all died there anyway. Caleb didn't die. Joshua didn't die because they had a different spirit about them. The second thing that it said is that he followed me fully. He followed me fully. If we back up a couple scriptures to 23, I believe, Nope, 22. Because all these men who have seen my glory and the signs which I did in Egypt in the wilderness and have put me to the test now these 10 times and have not heeded my voice, they certainly shall not see the land which I swear their fathers, nor shall any of those who reject me see it. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit in him and has followed me fully, I will bring him into the land where he went and his descendants shall inherit it. This is the other cool part, is that Caleb's word mattered too. Because because Caleb spoke up and because he spoke in faith, yes, the negative Nancys all died in the wilderness. But it says that Caleb and his descendants shall inherit it. Caleb's word made a difference for his generations that followed him. And in that moment, when God said, sorry, you're all gonna die here, except you, Caleb, good job, buddy. He's probably like, well, why did I speak up? I'm just not going to die here, but I got to live with these whiny people. And now they're going to be triply whiny because they just got a death sentence. Why did it matter? Because now generations that follow him are going to live in what God had prepared for him. His words mattered. The fact that he didn't settle mattered. It made a difference. But it said that those others, that they did not heed the voice of the Lord. And that is very obvious Because the word says that faith comes by hearing and by hearing the word of God. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. We know that God and his word are one and the same. So if they did not heed the voice of the Lord, then the word of God was not important to them. They could tell you what God promised. They could tell you what God did, but they did not obey. They did not fully follow the word that God had spoke. And because they didn't, they came back with a faithless answer. Whereas Caleb, he came back one that was full of faith. The giants weren't a question for him. Why? Because he took heed to the word of the Lord. Faith without hearing, or (laughs) faith comes by hearing, by hearing the word of God, but then faith without works is dead. He also put actions to what was coming out of his mouth. He didn't just say, that's our land. He said, that's our land. Let's go get it. He put action to his faith. He put action to that that was in his heart. But then farther, it says to not just be a hearer of the word, but to be a doer as well, or you will deceive yourselves. As it is vital, the word of God, that's what made uh, Caleb different, is that he, A, had a different spirit. Why? Because relationship with God. But then B, he took heed and he fully followed the voice of the Lord. He fully followed the word of God. So in our circumstances, you wrote down, you wrote down what, what land you're spying out. We wrote down if we're settling or not. 
Are we in relationship with God? Is there a different spirit about us? Are we viewing our circumstances the way that God would? That's how we know. If we don't know how God would view our circumstance, we're not in relationship with him where we could be. The good news is we can get there. The bad news is we're not there tonight, but you can get there. There's hope, don't worry. He wants relationship with us. It's more important than anything else on earth. He wants relationship with us. That was the initial thing that was restored when Jesus died was that relationship was restored because that was the initial thing stolen in the garden. He wants relationship with us. And so do we have a different spirit about us? If you were to look at your list, does it line up with what God thinks about it? If not, let's find out what God thinks about it. But then two, are we taking heed and obeying the word of God? Are we taking heed and fully following the word of God in these situations? Or are we just approaching them how we feel like it? I know what God's promise said, and I'm going to figure it out how I want to. I don't really want to follow all of that. Because one is going to fill us with faith for our circumstance, and one is going to suck it out of us and put it in something else. One of two things. Um, Let's look at a couple other scriptures just to back this up. Let's look at Hebrews 3. And you can save your place in numbers. We're going to be flipping back and forth all night. We're going to start reading in verse 7. It says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts in the rebellion. In the day of trial in the wilderness where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with that generation and said, They always go astray in their heart. That's crazy to me. They always go astray in their heart. The word tells us over and over and over again to guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And this says here specifically that they go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. They saw miracle after miracle after miracle, but they did not know his ways. They questioned whether or not God would show up every time. Where are we? In our promised land walking, do we question whether or not God's going to show up every time something hard happens? Or do we without a doubt know he absolutely is going to show up? He absolutely is going to work through this. He absolutely is already working ahead of me. That is a promise from him. I already possess this. It's already mine. How do we approach it? Beware, brethren, lest there be any of you in it with an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. So how do they go astray in their heart? It's a heart filled with unbelief. An evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it is said today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Man, That's good stuff. It says that, for we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. Steadfast to the end. So today, if we're in a place where we're looking at our promise can going, I know God's, I know what God says about my marriage. I go, but then something hard comes up. Do we hold steadfast? Or do we allow our heart to go astray in unbelief? Which one happens? I want this to be encouraging, but I want it to be strengthening to go, we can't just sit back in Kadesh and do nothing. Because the crazy thing is, is the ones that wanted to just settle in Kadesh because it was almost good enough. One of the first thing God says, first thing, the 10 spies, they got plagued and they died and that was really sad. And then with everyone else, he said, I need you to go back to the wilderness. They didn't even get in to stay in the place that they were settling in. It got worse. Anytime that we think and are deceived to think, if I just settle, it'll be all right. If I just settle right here, I'll be fine because I've been here. Mm-mm. You go backwards. Go back by the way of the Red Sea, is what he told him. You want to go back? Go back. But you're going to live out there. And it got worse. And so do we, do we approach this that, no, 
my confidence isn't shifted based on what I'm looking at because my confidence is in God and he doesn't change and his word doesn't change and his promise doesn't change. I'm going to walk and fully follow him in this area of my life. And I'm going to see the promises of God on the other side. Or, well, God, you promised that, and that's not what I'm seeing. So, and we let our heart go astray. Which one is it? Which one is it in that promised land living? Let's look at Philippians 2.15. We're going to start in 14. Do all things without complaining and disputing. If that was the only verse in the Bible... (laughs) Like, I really think every time I read it, I'm like, oh, it's such a cute little guy stuck in the middle in there. Um, Do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights to the world, holding fast to the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run or labored in vain." All right, what affected the Israelites more than anything else was the grumbling and complaining. Do all things without complaining. Do all things without complaining. Why? That you may prove yourselves, that you may be different than the generation. And we see that with Joshua and Caleb. They had a completely different spirit about them. Do all things without grumbling or complaining, but hold fast to the word of life. We know that about Joshua and Caleb because it said that they did take heed to his word, that they fully followed him. They had a different spirit about them so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. It would be a bummer to live our entire lives and get to the end and go, well, that was for nothing. (laughs) I tried. But how cool is it that we can line up with the word of God where he's gonna order our steps, where we're gonna see the promises. He didn't say there weren't giants in the land. He said the land was theirs. We're gonna have giants. Just because you have a giant pop up doesn't mean God isn't in it. It's yours to possess. It just means that I have to align myself in relationship with him and walk through it the way that his word says that we fully follow him through it and we will see the promise on the other side. It is not that there's a giant, oh my, and God's like, oh, because you were grumbling so much in the wilderness, I completely forgot to annihilate those guys before you got there. That's not where he was. He was going, no, I've given you power over him. That's what I proved to you with the quail and the manna and the fire and the cloud and the water and the parting of the Red Sea. That's what I've proved to you this whole time. What has God proved to us this whole time? But a giant pops up and we're like, God, you, you forgot. You forgot to take, now, now I'm not gonna see the promise. I'm gonna go back to Kadesh. We don't wanna run or labor in vain. We wanna live intentionally that we get to the end and we go, no, I was intentional the entire time. Any giant, anything, the confidence that I had in the end or in the beginning is the same confidence that I have in my God in the end and probably more so. Why? Because I stayed steadfast because everything mattered. My vision mattered. My obedience to the word mattered. The things that are important in the word of God are applied to my life because it matters. What is coming out of my life? or my mouth matters. Who I surround myself with matters. What I'm meditating on matters. Those little things matter. But when there's giants in front of us and when everyone else thinks different, it seems to not matter. And we can allow ourselves to get complacent. And that's the encouragement of this is it matters. It absolutely matters. It says that we were like grasshoppers in their sight And in our own, actually, it says we are like grasshoppers in our sight and in their sight. I don't know if they ask a giant, do I look like a grasshopper to you? I don't know how they thought that they thought they looked like grasshoppers, but they said it. So anyway, they they compared themselves to grasshoppers, which is interesting to me. Because grasshoppers only come in three colors. Green, tan, and brown. Why? Because they literally can't stand out. They blend into everything, which I think is hilarious that that's what they compared themselves to. We're just going to blend in with the majority that says we can't do this. And the two that didn't see themselves as grasshoppers, they stood out. In our situations, are we a grasshopper? Are we standing out? Do we blend in with what everybody else says about it? Do we blend in with the negativity around us? Do we blend in with the complaining and the grumbling around us? Or do what we say about our marriage 
completely contradict what the world says about theirs. What, what we say about our business and our finances and our health and our, does it completely contradict to where we feel like everybody is saying something different than what I'm saying? Which is it? Because if we're blending in with everybody else, we're not standing out, which means we don't have a different spirit about us. We have the same spirit about us as everyone else. Does that make sense? All right, let's go to a new point. And they kind of, these two kind of run together, but we're refusing to settle. And then point number three is that we receive what God has for us. In order to receive what God has for us will require of us. In order to receive what God has for us will require of us. God wants us to be active participants in the promises. Active participants in his promises. Okay, he's already promised us things that we can possess. But oftentimes as we read throughout the word of God, we see so many promises, but we see that they're conditioned based on our obedience to the word and the obedience to his voice. So if we're gonna declare the promise over a situation, are we living in obedience to line ourselves up with receiving that promise? When, like, for, when it says that those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish, sometimes we say, God, your word says I should flourish. Why am I not flourishing? God, your word says I should flourish. You promised that I can flourish. What's the condition? To be planted in the house of the Lord. So if I'm not planted in the house of the Lord and I'm a visitor to the house of the Lord, will I flourish? It's not what the Bible says. So sometimes we want the promises, but we don't want to align ourselves up with obedience to that. Why am I not flourishing? Are we doing what the word says based on whatever those promised lands that we wrote down are? We cannot live like everyone else and expect different results. I can't agree with the world around me. I can't raise kids the way that everyone else is and do my marriage and talk to my spouse the way everyone else is and how I feel and do with my finances what I want and do with my time what I want and make it like everyone else and go, God, where are you? Where are you? We've got to align ourselves with the word of God. Um, and here's why, because then in 1430, Numbers 14.30, sorry. We're going back to the other end of the Bible. And it says, well, we'll back up. We'll read to 28. And it says, say to them, as I live, says the Lord, just as you have spoken in my hearing, so I will do to you. The carcasses of you who have complained... That complaining means a whole lot more than we thought it did. Against me shall fall in this wilderness, all of you who were numbered according to your entire number from 20 years old and above, except, except. Why did it matter that Caleb had a different spirit? Why did it matter that what came out of his mouth was different? Why did it matter that he perceived and saw things the way that God saw things? Why did it matter that he fully followed God? Because that's a pretty detrimental thing that God just spoke over an entire nation of people. But that word accept, that word accept is so vital that will we be in exception that God says, yeah, this judgment is coming because of sin, except for, and he specifically mentions him by name. Guys, things matter. Things matter. What's coming out of our mouth matters. How we live matters. Our prayer time, our time in the word, our obedience to the word, it matters. Our time in church, it matters. The atmospheres that we surround ourselves with, it matters. Because I, I was reading that and I went, would God be able to say that about me? Except for? This is what's happening, except for? It says except for Caleb, the son of that guy, and Joshua, the son of Nun, that you shall by no means enter the land which I swore to make you dwell in, except for. Will we be that exception? The way to be that exception is to hear the word of the Lord, to take heed, to fully follow him. It matters. And this next point is kind of the, the most vital point in this entire message, but what happens in the waiting? Because this is in numbers. So this sounds real great so far that we're like, wow, 
except for Caleb. Like, that's a good ending to this story, except it really was just the beginning of poor Caleb's story. Now it's the sentence to all the dying carcasses. He's like the world's first mortician. He was the only one that survived. <laughs> he just had to make sure they all got taken care of. But th- this, is the, this is the beginning of a very long time. And I, want to, I love to put myself in the story because sometimes we read it and we're like, cool, Caleb stayed faithful, cool story. No, Caleb stayed faithful when all of these people are dying, when all of these people are negative. We already knew that they were complainers. We know it's multiplied at this point. So now they're dying, they're complaining. They're not gonna see the promised land. And this goes on for years and for years and for years, 40 to be exact, because God said for every day you spite out the land, that's one year you're gonna sit in the desert. 40 years. God made promises to Caleb. God said, except for Caleb, do you think maybe if you were the one in the story, you would start to question whether God was going to come through on your behalf or whether or not you might just want to die with the people around you. Put yourself in the story. Would you stay faithful? Like, I'm just going to sit up here, you guys all die, and then I'm going to take my place. No, there's still life to live with these people. And it's negative and there's complaining, but then it's so familiar with the world that we're in right now. When we stand up to live different, when we stand up and align our lives with the word of God, it's not popular. The little things that matter, it's not popular. It's not popular to stay confident and to stay solid in what God said when everything is working against us. And I'm sure there were times that people probably made some comments to Caleb like, so you're sure God coming through on your behalf? Wouldn't you rather just die out here with us? Does it really matter that you're staying faithful? Does it really matter that you still believe in God? Nothing is working for you. At that point, his life really probably didn't look much different than anyone else's. Has any of us ever questioned in those seasons of going, did it matter? Did it matter that I saw different? Did it matter that I followed God? Did it matter that I applied the things of God? Because right now, things aren't looking so hot. And it's in this season that I believe made a vital, vital difference his whole life, but in this particular season, 40 years is a long time. It made a vital difference. Let's flip over to Joshua and let's read about what, keep wanting to call him Joseph because there's, we got Joshua's, we got Caleb's, we got all those other names. It's definitely Caleb who we're reading about. Joshua 14, 6. And it says, then the children of Judah came to Joshua in Gilgal. And Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know the word which the Lord said to Moses, the man of God concerning you and me in Kadesh Barnea. Specifically, you remember that word? Do you guys remember a promise that God gave you 40 years ago? I don't because I'm actually not to that age. So careful nodding, everyone will know. Um... I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought back word to him as it was in my what? Hmm. As it was in my heart, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt, but I wholly followed the Lord my God. So Moses swore on that day saying, surely the land where your foot has trodden shall be your inheritance and your children's forever because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. Did it matter? On this day, do you think those little things mattered? That Caleb's looking back going, yeah, yeah, it mattered. Suddenly all those years that it felt like it didn't matter. When all those times I felt like I was just spinning my wheels, did it matter? when it was a struggle to be in church, when it was a struggle to do things right, when it was a struggle to speak right, when it was a struggle to walk out of atmospheres that I had no business being in, when it was a struggle, did it matter? Guaranteed on this day, he said, it mattered. And now behold, the Lord has kept me alive. And he said, these 45 years, ever since the Lord has spoke his word to Moses while Israel wandering through the wilderness, now here I am in this day, 85 years old. 85 years old. Okay, 
When you're around complaining people for like one day, do you just feel exhausted at the end of the day? (laughs) All right, we got 40 years, 45 years. We got 45 years. I would think you'd be a little bit exhausted, but I'm gonna show you some back end to how we know these things could be true about Caleb and how we can apply them to our seasons. But he says, I'm 85 years old. As yet, I am as strong this day as on the day Moses sent me. I have the same strength. Why? We just read my confidence in the end is exactly the same as it is in the beginning. Just as my strength was then, so now is my strength for war, both for going out and for coming in. So now is strength. So we see not only like I'm as strong. I'm as strong as I was then. I'm as ready as I was then. Like I'm ready to go. He's 85 years old. Now, let's look at a couple scriptures before we keep reading the rest of this story. Actually, I'll probably just, well, no. Let's go to Psalm 27. So this entire season of waiting. See, sometimes in our season of waiting is the hardest time to believe that it really matters. How we wait truly matters. Because we can look at Caleb and he could, he could have given up out there. He could have absolutely given up out there. And we see throughout the word of God, we see waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting happen over and over again. We see David anointed king and it's years before he ever was in the palace, guaranteed that he could have lost the anointing to become king in that waiting season. There were things that could have been severed because of how he chose to respond, but he chose to stay true to what God commanded him to be and who he commanded him to be and how he commanded him to do things. Same is true here with Caleb this waiting season could have sabotaged him. We're gonna read in 13 and it says, I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I would have lost heart. I would have given up, but I knew what God said. And even though I was in the waiting and I didn't see what I wanted to see in that moment, I held fast. I held firm. I remained steadfast to what God said. Verse 14, wait on the Lord and be of good courage. He shall what? Strengthen your heart, which is exactly what Caleb said happened. He will strengthen your heart. Wait, I say on the Lord. Now let's look at Isaiah 40. And we're going to read 31. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. Does this maybe reveal some things as to how Caleb could say what he did? He had 40 years of waiting. And at the end of it, he said, first of all, let me remind you what God said. We were sitting right here. This is what came out of his mouth. I'm promised these things because we wholly followed him. It's what he went and told Joshua. He said, second of all, because I wholly followed him, I need you to know that I got enough, as much strength today as I did then. The only way that that could happen is if he waited intentionally and didn't sit back and wait for something to happen, but he actively waited on the Lord and continued to pursue what God said about his circumstance, what God said about where he was going, what God said about him living, as those were big things. And he could have easily sunk back into the majority and wondered if it mattered. Instead, we know that he waited on God because that's the only way that he could have been strengthened like he was. Now let's go back to Joshua and continue reading right there. Because there's so much in this. I've been reading it and reading it and reading it. And every time I read it, I get more. Um, verse 12. Now therefore give me this mountain which, of which the Lord spoke to me in that day. For you heard in that day how the Anakin were there and that the cities were great and fortified. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall be able to drive them out as the Lord said. And Joshua blessed him and gave him Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, as an inheritance. Hebron therefore became the inheritance of Caleb to this day because he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. And the name of Hebron formerly was Kerjoth Arba. Arba was the greatest man among Anakim. The land had rest from war. Okay, a few things I want to point out right there. There were only two places mentioned when they went to spy out the land. If you go back to Numbers, I can give you the exact reference, but for time's sake, I'm not going to go there. Um, 
I wrote it down somewhere. Anyway, if you go back to Numbers where they are sent out to spy the land, I believe in verse 17 is where it starts talking about it. But they specifically, it says that they go south by way of the mountains. And specifically, it says that they went to Hebron. And that is where they saw the giants. So one of the biggest reports that came back of what they didn't do was the place of Hebron. I do not find it ironic that this is the exact place when Caleb says, give me my mountain. That place is mine. He didn't say, give me the Valley of Eshkel where all the grapes were. He said, no, I want Hebron. Give me my mountain. That thing that everyone said I couldn't have. That place that no one said I would make it. That place that the majority said wasn't possible. That's the place I want. And in our lives, do we want just the promise of the grapes? Or do we say, no, I know what God said about my marriage, my finances, my friendships, my kids, my jobs. I know what God says. And it's that place that everyone said I couldn't. It is that place that the report came back that was so negative that took out a generation. It was that place that I was the only one to stand up and say something. It's that place. Give me my mountain. That's the boldness that we can have. And that's what Caleb had that he said, I want that place. The second thing that I wanted to point out is that if you were to flip back over to Numbers, he said, we are well able to overtake them and drive them out because God says so. If you look at this scripture right here in verse 12, it says, for you heard in that day, he said, I'm just reminding you the report that came back. There were a lot of giants and that city was fortified. But I need you to know that it may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall be able to drive them out as the Lord said. The same thing he said 45 years ago is the exact same thing he's saying now. Why? Because it was the word of God. Our words will change because our circumstances will change. Because that's what I'm trying to say is if we will ground ourselves in the word of God, circumstances shouldn't change how we're gonna fight our battles. Circumstances shouldn't, say, it shouldn't change how we're going to possess the promises of God. Why? Because God doesn't change and his word doesn't change. So the same word that Caleb had 45 years earlier is the exact same word he had 45 years later over the same mountain and said, give me my mountain because this is what God says about it. And that's what he said about it then. And that's what he says about it now. And it didn't change. What God said when you first got married, what God said when you first had kids, what God said when you first started that job, what God said when you first fill in the blank, his word doesn't change. So even though it may not look like what we want it to look like, are we going to declare what the majority is saying? Or are we going to declare what God's word says? Because God's word doesn't change. 45 years later, he is declaring the exact same thing. And he says, give me my mountain, that place, that place that no one said I could have. What thing do you feel like you're constantly resisting? What promise do you feel like you're constantly resisting? And maybe there's several of them, but what is it? what it is in your life that you go, there's constant resistance in that area, like I can't have it. That's where you go, I'm gonna actively wait on God. I'm gonna actively wait with God. He's gonna renew my strength and that's the mountain I'm gonna get because that's what God promised me. Now I wanna read forward just a little bit and it says, um, Joshua 21 43, it says, For the Lord gave to Israel all the land which he had sworn to give their fathers, and they took possession of it and dwelt in it. The Lord gave them rest all around according to all that he had sworn to their fathers, and not a man of all of their enemies stood against them. The Lord delivered their enemies into their hands. And this one right here, one of my favorite scriptures in the whole Bible, not a word failed of any good thing which the Lord had spoken to the house of Israel. All came to pass. Not one word of the Lord failed. Now that was a subpar circumstance. Being stuck in the wilderness is not my idea of a good time. Being stuck where I and moved from Kadesh back into the wilderness, not a fun idea. So that's not ideal. But God's word never failed. And sometimes... We think, you know, why are these bad things happening? Why? I'm trying to live right. I'm trying to do right. I'm sure Caleb felt that. Like, God, can I just go possess the land solo? Like, Josh and I can just make our way across. Everyone else can die like you said they would. That would have been a great victory, probably. 
And sometimes we wonder, guys, the effects of sin affect all of our lives. The effects of sin are gonna affect all of our lives in some way. But we have something different where even in the midst of that circumstance that may have seemed unfair, that may have seemed like it was never gonna end, that maybe have seemed like, is God actually gonna come through for Caleb was a season that he chose to wait, that brought him some of the greatest victories and the greatest strength that he could have possibly walked in because he waited on purpose and he waited with intentionality. Will you stand with me? I'm gonna read one or two more scriptures. I'm gonna read Revelation 3 because I want you to hear something that sounds very familiar to what was told to Caleb, but it's what is being told to us. Because this isn't just a story about Joshua and Caleb. Our lives line up with every piece of this, just as they do throughout the word of God. But in Revelation 3, starting verse 8, it says, I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door and no one can shut it. I've set before you an open door and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength. You have kept my word and not denied my name. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come to worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you. Because you have kept my command to persevere, I will also keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have that no one may take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God and he shall go out no more. I will write him the name of my God in the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down of heaven from my God. And I will write on him a new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. This is what was read to the faithful church. So in our circumstances, wherever you're at right now, in pursuit of that promise, wherever it is that this was written to the faithful church, and there are some things that I, that I know, I know through prayer, I know, does it matter? Does it actually matter? And I wanna tell you what it absolutely does because it says, I know your works. And because, because you have not pushed my word aside, because you have chose to listen and obey, here's what I'm gonna do for you. That's a big deal. That is a huge promise. A huge promise that our God has for us and we see that not one of his words will fail. So it matters. It matters. So I want us to take inventory. I want this to be kind of a checkup message to go, have I let things slide? What is my mouth saying? Because it has a big effect. What am I thinking? It has a big effect. How do I talk? What's the atmosphere of my home? How do I talk to my spouse? How do I talk to my kids? What atmospheres am I okay them being in? Me being in? What are we listening to? What are we watching? Does it matter to be in church? Does it matter to tithe? Does it matter to line our lives up with the Word of God? It matters. It matters. And we put a lot of time and effort into a lot of things that don't matter. It matters. And so I want that to be a huge encouragement. And then in Philippians, 1 6 is my last scripture. It says, Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. He who has begun a good work in you will complete it. He's faithful to complete it. What God starts, He absolutely finishes. But guys, He wants us to be active participants. Oren's been driving this really cool GPS tractor. It's genius. You could totally like be a farmer and have a side hustle because you can work for rows at a time on something completely unrelated to the field you're planting. It's, it's a cool thing. So I went and rode with him in this tractor. You just set the thing and it makes your lines really straight for us OCD people. So your lines are going great, but if it starts for some reason getting off course or when you get close to the end and you have to turn around, it starts beeping at you really, really, really loud. Why? Because you still have to participate with what's going on to make this thing happen. It beeps at you when you're out of seat. It beeps at you. You still have to participate. And when I was riding with him the other day, I went, this is so much like our relationship with God where, where he's gonna set the course 
and it's cool just to do life with him, but there's still a part that I have to play because I could go around that whole field and have a really good time and plant nothing because I didn't refill the seed. I could just keep going straight for days. I will have a very straight line and destroy the really expensive tractor because I forgot to turn. Because there's indicator lights that are gonna go off and on. And that's our relationship with God, that it, it takes work. It takes effort on our part, but our part matters. It matters, the little things matter. So you bow your heads, will you close your eyes with me? As we close. My heart in this message is like I say, just the checkup to go, it really does matter. But then also an encouragement because I know that there's been some disheartening circumstances that we've been in as I was praying for us as a, as a congregation, as I've been praying for our church. I've absolutely felt that, that there's been some disheartening things that we've been facing to go, <laughs> it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I'm watching, I'm watching people that have been in church for years walk away. I'm watching their families be destroyed. So what's the point? I'm watching this happen. What's the point? I'm watching, and I know there's some, some things that have brought in some just disheartening. And I know the wondering is, does it matter? Does it matter? Does it matter? And I wanna encourage you that it absolutely matters. Don't quit. Don't pull back. Don't go back and say, it is what it is. I'm just gonna float through in Kadesh because even that was taken away. Don't float through in Kadesh. Go, I'm gonna pursue the promised land. I'm gonna actively wait. I'm gonna actively rely on my God. I'm gonna line myself up with his word. I'm gonna find out what the word says about every promised land that I'm seeking in my life. I'm gonna find out what the, the guidelines are. If I want, if the promise says my marriage should look like this, how should I be talking? How should I be serving? How should I be responding? How do I lead? How do I follow? How do I, what is my role? What does the word of God say? Because then when we align ourselves with that, you watch the promises unleash. Same thing with finances, same things with friendships, same thing, same thing with job or career pursuits or big decisions. What does the word say about the promise? How can I align myself to process and partner with getting there? But the first thing, and I said it once, but the couple times, I guess, but the, the most important thing is having a relationship with Jesus. Do we know Jesus? And I do not ever want to miss that opportunity to go do, does everyone in this room, does everyone in this room know that you know that you know that you know Jesus, that you have given your life to him. He wants a relationship with you. More than anything else, that's the most important thing to him. And so if you have not made the decision to give your life to Jesus, I would just ask you to slip your hand up with me and say, I wanna know him. I want relationship with him because we can't walk out anything else without having a relationship with him. And I believe every single person in here has that relationship. And then my next question, with every head bowed, every eye closed, this is, nobody's, this is nobody's business. But maybe you've been at a place that you've questioned and said it doesn't matter. Maybe you've been at the place that says, God, are you actually gonna come through? And maybe we've settled in Kadesh and we've allowed the giants to be bigger than the goodness of our God and the promise of our God. And if this ministered to you to say, no, I need to realign with what really matters then I would ask you just to slip your hand up with me. No one's looking around. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I see you guys, thank you. Thank you, thank you. That just says, I, I know that I gotta get realigned. I know that I've let go of the promise on some things. Father God, I thank you for every single person that has their hand in the air. And God, I pray that the promise would be restored in their heart, but Father, you would draw us close to you, that we would be closer with you than ever before. We would walk in relationship with you. We would take heed to your voice. We would align ourselves with your word, but it matters. And I pray that as we wait, that as we face these things that are bigger than us, I thank you that you are bigger, that you are greater, and that your strength is made perfect in our weakness. And I thank you that you are the one that strengthens our heart. And I pray that every single person in this room would have a different spirit, that we would see things the way that you see things, that we would come back with the report that lines up with what you say and not what the majority says. 
We thank you for the promises that you've made available to us. And I pray that you would equip us and I pray that you would empower us and I pray that you would strengthen us to be able to possess those promises. And I thank you for a safe week for every single person in this room. We are so thankful for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you guys very, very much. If you need prayer, come ask our altar team. They'd love to pray with you. Just encourage you in any area that that may be. Otherwise, have a wonderful rest of your week and we will see you on Sunday.